Hello and welcome back to the Comic Lyra podcast, the podcast that does deep dives into the best of comic books, graphic novels, mangas, and I'm not doing this for a second time. I'm your host, the soon to be known as Comic Stan, and with me as always is my unruffled co-host, it's Jamie. Well now I am rock and ruffled. <laughs> rock and ruffled? We're both a bit rock and ruffled right now. <laughs> it sounds like if you're going to, um, what's the American thing, the the, the rat? The, the animatronic thing in America, the Five Nights is based on. Chuck E. Cheese. Chuck E. Cheese. Like, and we've got his friend, Rock and Ruffled, <laughs> Rock and Ruffled the Rat over here. Rock and Ruffle on the bass. Yes. <laughs> and as I was, I was explaining before we realized that there was an audio issue, the Unruffled comes from me trying to connect it to, the, to today's title. So I took the, um, we're doing Scott Pilgrim, part two, first part two of the podcast. Hey, uh, in clacks and sounds. Clacks and sounds. Bah, 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 and all that. Um, Selector. <laughs> in line with the uh, the cartoon that's coming out soon. Don't which we'll tell talk about. them. No, but it's, we're promoting it. They need to think that we are completely unscrupulous, <laughs> that we have perfect integrity. It's not like, oh, there's a thing coming out on Netflix. You want to do more Scott Pilgrim? We just happened to do like Ms. Marvel when the Marvels were coming out and, and all those other ones. We just happened to do all the things we do in the order we do them in. And there's no other reason than that we just think it's really good for our integrity. I do like to imagine if I'd never revealed this to you, that one day you would have been like, did you realize that Scott Pilgrim thing was coming out when we were doing the Scott Pilgrim episode? I mean, the funny thing is that you often tell me that we're doing these things for a reason. And then remember yet yeah, last week, I got halfway through the Ms. Marvel episode and went, mm. oh, I should make a film out of this. And you were like... <laughs> Jamie, we're doing this because they're making a TV show. It's already made. You can watch it. And I was like, oh, great. Cool. <laughs> I can't tell whether you'd be a great magician's audience or not. Because on the one hand, I could imagine someone being like, and look what's in your hand. And you'd be like, oh, wow. When did this go? Not remembering they gave it to you earlier. But on the other hand, I could also imagine them being like, is this your card? And you being like, I don't know, mate. I forgot. <laughs> the funny thing is that in many ways, I'm incredibly observant. It's it's the ADHD, right? Isn't it? It's the, yeah, yeah. When you're focused, you're laser focused. But that that focus is like on like a ten twenty percent like kicking in rate. Yeah, I fo- I, I can I, yeah I can maintain focus for about one hundred and eighty percent, like ten percent of the time. Although, like, I will have conversations with people, and I will have to hold back some like. I will have to hold back a good proportion of what I remember about them from the last time we spoke because hmm. it weirds people out. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, because your dad was in XYZ and he did that, didn't he? And they go, how do you know that? And I'm like, you told me the last time we spoke. And they don't remember telling me. And so then I look mental. I think that's actually going to be somewhat of a topic coming up later in this episode. Um, but coming back to it, the reason for the unruffled was I literally took the, the titles of the volumes of Scott Pilgrim we're covering this week and one of them being Scott Pilgrim gets it together. And I was like, classman of straws, but let's see if the adjectives for somebody who has it all together. And it <laughs> was unruffled. So I was like, you know what? That's the most interesting of the ones I could find. Because the other ones were like, you know, like organized and stuff. I was like, that's boring. It's like unruffled. Like, that's an interesting one. I mean, I'm often pretty ruffled in fairness. Physically, yes. <laughs> but mentally, also, yes. So, <laughs> so I see your point. <laughs> I'm unfazed by a lot of things, but yes. I am quite a like, ooh, what's going on, chaotic human being? Could you say, would you say you're whelmed or is that a thing? Um, I'm often overwhelmed, mate, but I think that's just because I'm a human being existing in 2023 with a mortgage. I think it's a kind of running, like, not literary joke, but like gr- gr- language-based joke in English language. Like, you could be overwhelmed or underwhelmed, but you can never just be whelmed. Like, I feel like I've heard that before. 
Yes. Um, yes. Cutting to the English language master over here. Is whelmed a word? And what does it mean? Whelmed is not a word. Wow. So um, how did we get to underwhelmed? Do you know I used to know this and I don't? So at some point... This is I'll, the one thing you're good for. Do you want me to get the fucking dictionary out again? Do you we're, want me to get the dictionary out again? I will do it. We're literally going to develop a dictionary corner <laughs> part of the podcast, which for our non-British, that's a countdown reference. It's a countdown reference. Yes. Countdown is a British TV show where they do word and number puzzles. It's a real nerds TV show. And then there would be, yeah, there'd be somebody whose job it was to read a dictionary. <laughs> as a punishment <laughs> have you got to the d's yet like do you so you know carol vorderman who used to be on that show she was the original wasn't she yeah do you know she had like a master's degree in mathematics mathematics she yeah, was they, a deeply intelligent person anyone who's had that role has to because they literally solve like ridiculous equations with the with the numbers they've the contestants have chosen i'm pretty sure they now have an earpiece and a bloke with a calculator Ooh, that's but back in the day carol Vord, like so they would give you nine random numbers and then a number you had to reach and you had to do a series of math sums to get to the target number mm. and carol vorderman would just nail it every single time in her head whilst also presenting a tv show mm. fucking well impressive i say for any non-british listeners if you want to experience this but you think it might be a bit boring there's a 8 out of 10 cats version of it. Which, 8 out of 10 cats is a British com- comedy panel show, so it's a bunch of comedians playing Countdown, and it mm. is very good. And Rip Sean Locke, who made it what it was. Oh, yeah, no, I was literally about to say, get an episode with Sean Locke, R.I.P. And yeah, no, because he was really funny on it. And if you can, if you have the time, look up Carrot in a Box. <laughs> if you don't, see it. Just don't. don't yeah, don't, do, don't. it's the best. Oh, yeah, fine. <laughs> it's, it's Sean Locke's proudest moment. <laughs> It was when he died. That clip was everywhere, and everyone was like, "Miss him so much." It's like him just absolutely. I won't give away, but it's a pretty good clip. And you'll want to be, you want to play carrot in the box at home with your loved ones. And that's not a euphemism. <laughs> you made me quiet laugh. <laughs> that's the worst kind for a podcast. <laughs> so, so onto the comic. We are doing, as I said, the next two volumes. So somehow I had a little bit of a listen on the last episode, which was annoying because it was within our first 10 episodes when we weren't as good as we are now just how bad was it i mean i was a bit like come on get to the point like you know like because <laughs> now we just laser focus on the point we don't we tangent used to, at all we used to do a half a solid half hour of bollocks leading into actually talking about the comic didn't we whereas now we've divided that bollocks and sprinkled it over the course yeah, of the episode we pepper yes like a good steak we pepper our episode with bollocks it's the frog in the boiling pot of water like <laughs> we don't we don't splash you straight in because you'll jump out but if we slowly get you get in the cool water and then we slowly turn up the bollocks and then by the end you go they didn't talk about the comic at all like <laughs> which is how we want to trick the audience but I've, I've had it on good authority man the people want more tangents i mean again how can we fit more in we, we will find out in this week's episode but somehow, listening back to it, we did three full volumes, and I didn't realize how long that was. And we broke, we spoke very briefly off air, interpreting how long those actual volumes were. Yeah. yeah For yeah. me, the vo- a volume of Scott Pilgrim feels a lot longer because it's not marked with the issue. Like, it is marked with chapter numbers, though. Cha- yeah, but they're not the same as like when you finish an issue, you literally get like the yes. the the page, like the end here's next week's, and then you start the next one. And no, it is it. It is presented as one long ongoing story, isn't it? Because like chapter marks in a book, I think the same problem is who who decides how long a chapter is. 
the, the, the author. Exactly. But so one chapter could be tiny and the next chapter could be bloody Order of the Phoenix. Like... <laughs> So most authors will have roughly consistent chapter lengths. They should, and I assume most of them do uphold that. But it's one of those, like, we don't enforce it as a law, but it's like one of those good faith things. Like, don't do one page chapter unless you're being a dick. Some authors do. That's what I mean. So it's not not clear cut across the board. And I didn't know if it was the same thing with these kind of chapters. Like, obviously, uh, bring up the name just in case. Brian K. O'Malley. Not K. You got that wrong last time as well. Oh, is he just... That's why I was bringing it up. Um, it is... Brian Lee O'Malley. Brian Lee O'Malley. I, get, I always get mixed up with Brian K. Vaughan, right? The cat has found some chocolate buttons. She's very excited. And that's the worst thing she could find. Well, no, they won't. They, they only kill dogs. They don't kill cats. I always get that confused. I always assume cats and dogs are similar enough. Don't but... get me wrong. I don't feed her chocolate. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's still bad. It's not uh, as bad. I'm not like, you've been a good girl. Here's some dairy milk. But so I don't know. Brian Lee O'Malley, he might just be like, yeah, this this seems like a chapter. And contextually, it might fit the you know narrative of like, this seems like a chapter point, but it might literally be a page or two long. And the next one might be 100 pages. The chapter breaks in this are consistent. What I mean is it didn't help for me. It didn't break up enough for me as when I'm reading like, if I read 10 issues of, if a volume is like 10 issues of something, I get that feeling of like, buddy, I've got through like three issues already i've only got seven left and yeah that kind of thing you do the thing that anybody doing any kind of boring labor does Mm. which is that you divide it you you divide and subdivide yeah um there's this really beautiful part of more where terry pratchett goes into it more is digging out shit from a stable and he says he does this thing where he goes right i've done three feet if i do one more feet that means i'm halfway to the halfway point which means i've done about a third yeah and it's the same thing that i do when i'm reading a boring comic book i'm like right I'm on my third issue, which means I've only got seven left. But because the next one's four, it only really feels like six. So actually, I'm halfway through. I should clarify, I did not. I was not bored reading this comic. Uh, no, it's great. No, but it did still feel like a, a longer time had passed while trying to get through a volume. I think I smashed out the two volumes we did for this episode in like an hour and a half. I think at least an hour of volume for me. I'd read this before, though, hadn't I? Yes. I, and- I believe, I believe I've, I've even read this twice before. Because I read the original once, and then I yeah. read the colorized version once. And I feel like I might have skimmed a little bit more in the first couple volumes because they're so close to the film. Yeah. So I was going through panels like, I, this is the same dialogue that I got. Whereas now, we are entering the point where the films had to really, really condense this stuff to fit it in. Whereas obviously, these are two whole volumes. So the main point I'm making is, in that first episode we did we did the three volumes and i went bloody hell we did three volumes and then <laughs> i initially was going to be like let's do the other three now and then i did the first two and i was like you know what i've got like two pages of notes this will this will do and also we're holding something back in case another scott pilgrim associated <laughs> thing happens we're holding back the ending when exactly. we're, we're not doing the, and to be honest with you last time we did three issues this time we're doing two we're just saving that one little volume at the end yep and it's a big one apparently from what i've seen in the the, blurb, sixth, so. one, the sixth one is as long as fourth and fifth combined that's even better reason to stop at four and five because <laughs> it would have taken you four hours but like i said we're doing scott pilgrim gets it together and scott pilgrim versus the universe uh, yeah both great titles i think they could have used for the film but i did make a note at one point i did skim the third volume just to be like what what happened last time and that one is scott pilgrim the infinite sadness yeah. i was like imagine the balls if they had like gone with that as the yeah. film title <laughs> people would be like this is a michael Cera film why is it sad <laughs> I think he subtitled them all really well. Yeah, they're interesting. Like, they're, they're vague enough that you don't... Like, I feel like you could mix them up and they could go in a... 
you could mix up the volume tiles and they would apply to a lot of them, except maybe the last one, which I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think it's a bit more specific. But they do all fit the overall story across all the volumes. So yes. they, all, they all fit Yeah, that they're all narrative. consistent, aren't they? Yeah. And as I said, Brian Lee O'Malley, uh, I thought, uh, because I, and I assume you were as well, reading the colorized versions. Yes. I think it's worth knowing it because I think that's most likely going to be the copy that someone at home might be reading as well. Yeah, yeah. So that was, and that was colored by Nathan Fairbairn or Fairbarn. And we'll go Fairbarn. It's, it's fair and then it's barn but with an I. Yeah, Fairbairn. Exactly. And the reason <laughs> I'm making a point of that is I probably butchered some non-Western names before. I just want to, this is evidence of I can also butcher Western names yeah, because yeah. I'm just bad at interpreting <laughs> sim- the symbols of English language. Can't read the runes. Exactly. They are confusing to me, and I'm not even dyslexic. <laughs> are you not? I mean, I don't think I, I've never been. T- <laughs> personally, I've never been tested, so who knows? But yeah, colorized versions. Picking up where we left off, which was the art. Uh, they just done the third Evil X. Yeah. So we are now at four, five, and six, technically across yeah. volumes four and five. Yeah. Um. And what's interesting here is again, we like I mentioned earlier. I think a lot of people have seen the film without reading the original uh, comic book. This mm. is where it diverts the most from the film. I'd yeah, because the film the film doesn't cover all six volumes, but it kind of does. So we meet Gideon in the. We've only just really gotten a look at Gideon, mm. and I think this is where some of the most interesting content in the series starts to creep in. This is, I think, the deepest stuff. Yeah, and I can also completely understand why they had to take it out for the film because yeah. They'd already, they had like a shorter narrative that still serviced the overall theme, but they couldn't quite get into like the Scott and Ramona moving in together and the, yes. and the, and a quite nuanced display of yeah. that in this book. I think that's one of the strong points of these volumes. There's something that I want to just get off my chest right at the top of the episode. We're doing straight in, all spoilers and everything. Yeah, all fuck that. it. This is yeah. like 20 years old or something. Um, is People some- still go, Thanks for spoiling the sixth sense for me. Yeah. <laughs> People do that. I have to address some good old-fashioned early 2000s homophobia. I was going with uh, ableist stuff, actually. That's oh, why I made the note right, of. Right, okay, cool. So we've got, yeah, we've got a few little things that... I'm actually about. surprised that there's homophobia, because I, I didn't pick up on it, and I, uh, I'm i interested to hear what you, what it's you nuanced. have. It's okay. nuanced homophobia. Okay. Um. So there is a point at which we have a revelation that Romana Flowers has had a relationship with a woman. Yes, I know where you're going now. Yeah. And Scott's response to that is, "You had a sexy face." His exact words. Yeah. And then he quote unquote shivers with delight. Yeah. Now, obviously, I think that feeds really strongly into the oversexualization of queer people. Yeah. The idea that especially some- lesbians. Yeah, the idea that because somebody isn't straight, that speaks to the way that they practice their sexuality and not just whom they practice it with. And so the idea that Romana's gay queer relationship was a sexy phase, mm. I just think is, is inherently a bit homophobic. And then also yeah. we see Knives Chow and Kim making out in a room. And I think Scott's response to that is much different as if he'd seen two characters of the opposite gender doing that. See, I did wonder that because my thinking with that specifically was I genuinely didn't know. And I think you could go either way, whether his reaction was based on two friends who you didn't know liked each other at all and seeing an inti- a suddenly an inti- intimate moment between them versus, as you say, the other option is equally 
that, you know. We don't see any other examples of two friends suddenly getting together. There's no. the only one I could think of was young Neil and Knives. Yeah. But I think that's that's more like a, they turn up to a public place like we are together now. Knives so- is brilliant because she's worked her way through that friendship group. Yeah. She's with she's with Scott and then she's with young Neil and then it's her in the room making out with Kim. Mm. And then a bit later on, um, they walk up, they walk into... There's some closest with her and Stephen Styles. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which hasn't paid off yet, but might be something. Young Neil's arc is sad. Yeah, it's a real background, like, C-plot, isn't it? Yeah, like, when, yeah, we just see him, like, alone in the dark, chain-smoking cigs in his room looking miserable. Mm. That's not fun. Yeah. But yeah, like like I said, we we don't see any moments of him like suddenly seeing two other friends making out. Yeah. So we don't with that one again. I think you could go either way. Like, oh, it's entirely possible. But I just wanted to reference it. Mm. Where I, was the ableism? Because that flew over my radar, mate. It was just particular slurs, like used quite a few times. Oh, they used the R slur. Did you not see that? No. Who says it? Like a bunch of them. Really? Yeah. Like normally to normally directed towards Scott. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> for how it was used at the time, like uh, yeah, yeah I, I get it. But yeah, it's it's again, it's very two thousand and three. Like that's how I, I that's how I view all this stuff. Same with the in the point we made in Invincible a few weeks ago. Yeah, it's it's so of its time. It's you are balancing that like they are accurately capturing the representation yeah. of the of this age group in that period of time. Yes, they are. So, uh, but yeah, like we always say, it's still worth calling out, not to demonize the writer for writing it 20 years ago, but just to be like, that's not okay now, though. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's all we're doing. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's a matter of context, isn't it? And I Hmm. feel like it's becoming boring that we keep talking about it because we keep having the same conversation of like, about context and the way the culture changes and all of that kind of stuff. Well, we have to because we're um, beta soy boy cucks, aren't we? So yeah, liberal beta soy boy cucks. Wait, you're liberal. <laughs> 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 this podcast is over. <laughs> Can't believe this. You wait until you find out how I vote, mate. <laughs> Monster raving loony pie all the time, every time, every time. Lord Buckethead. <laughs> he's the, the only one who's gonna, monster. He's the only one who's going to get the job done. I don't know what the job is, but he's going to know what the job is. <laughs> That's he's the wild card. It's like when Donald Trump got into office. I imagine there was a moment where he was sat in the Oval Office and went, "Fuck, I've actually got to do this now." You know, you know who who thought for sure that he wasn't going to win? Him. The South Park makers. Yes. They were making the they were making uh, the series at the time, and famously, they make their episode about like. They start it a week before it comes out. Yeah, it, they had a documentary about. It, I think it's called Seven Days in Hell, and it literally yeah. shows like conception of the idea of the episode to recording it and animating it and releasing it. And they've got it close to the wire a couple times for years. There's one instance where they didn't get it on time, and that was just because like something happened out of their control and they just couldn't make the episode ready. So they so Comedy Central, I think they ran a they just ran a, a rerun. They said this week's episode will be out next week and it's just going to be delayed all the week. Yeah. But so they were making that series at the time and it was about the election and everything. And you can tell the episode after Trump wins, it's really scattershot. And like they, they said after they're like, we thought Hillary was going to. I, I don't know for sure if they admitted this or not, or if it's just a strong theory based on the episodes. But the episodes were gearing towards trump losing because their character mr garrison was trump yeah, like yeah he yeah, was yeah. the trump character so after he wins he does exactly that he's like i didn't think i was actually gonna win like um 
So it's it's theorized that they was were like... Was he Mr. Garrison at the time or was he Mrs. Garrison yet? He was Mr. Garrison again. Again? Yeah. He's been... He, <laughs> has he de- did they detransition Mr. Garrison? Yes. That's hilarious. Mr. Garrison has been everything, both, both <laughs> gender and sexuality. He yeah, had yeah, literally yeah. gone across everything. But yeah, so I thought that was interesting that like, they were like, oh shit, Trump has won. We have to redo the, the episode that's coming out. And yeah. It kind of ruined their plot because they were doing an overarching series plot. So it was going to result in like a culmination at the end of the series. And then a few series after that, they're like, we're going to stop this series long <laughs> plot because it's too difficult. <laughs> Don't know how we got on that from Scott Pilgrim, but... Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> Monster Ava Looney Pie, it made sense at the time. Oh, we, we, we were talking about me being liberal. Yes. There you go. So yeah, a couple of 2003 language in this. So yeah. if that's an issue for anyone like that, be if you're going to read this, you've probably already... I mean... If you're going to read these volumes, you probably read the volumes beforehand, so you know what you're in for, really. I think it does somewhat speak to, we've said before, that if a character does stuff like this in a comic book or any kind of media, what really is important is how that character is being portrayed. If that character is like the squeaky clean protagonist who everyone's meant to love, and they start using this kind of language, then then it becomes like a, oh, you're kind of okaying in a way. Mm. But equally, if you had a bad character... Yeah. and they say bad shit then it's like well yeah that they are meant to be the bad person in this so for this i think scott does kind of veer on mm. the unsympathetic protagonist i mean yeah i thought we, we talked about this in the first episode i believe scott isn't a particularly sympathetic protagonist particularly there's things that he did in this issue in the first run which come to fruition in this run so it everybody sort of finds out that he cheated on Ramona with knives. Yeah. And we know cheated on knives with Ramona. And that's something that's never quite addressed in the film, so... No. Uh, yeah. Absolutely not. And um, and he kind of gets sold out by his friend, but it's also kind of valid that Stephen did that. Like, I don't think it's unreasonable. Well, I think the point that Stephen was making was he was annoyed that things kept seeming to work out for Scott, despite his many flaws. So I think he felt a bit of like, you know what, this isn't on. Like, it's not going to be all okay for him because he he has done bad shit. And the overwhelming sense that you get from Scott's relationships, in particularly in Volume 4, is that his friends don't really like him that much. Well, so reading it, I was making a few points of like, why I didn't like Scott or things he was doing that I didn't like. Yeah. And then when his friends started to reflect my views, I felt as a reader like, justified and more um more vindicated not quite vindicated but uh like felt more engaged in the actual story because i think i was taken out a bit by scott constantly fucking up and nothing happening but when the repercussions did happen i was like oh i'm I'm in now because the realism then brought me back in and it's kind of like it has that we we talk about things being weed and esque a lot don't we Hmm. but it has that weed and esque thing where all of these characters are really unlikable in many different ways but then you remember, they're all in their early 20s. People are unlikable in their early 20s. The thing with that Whedon-esque language is when it's just done in place of normal language, mm. that's what, when it becomes annoying, when you know things become overly quippy. Yeah. In this, I feel like people's detachedness, the characters, like they're too cool to care about stuff, Yeah, that is now actually reverberating across the characters. So they're actually like rebounding off each other and falling out and things like that. So that actually is the best version of like a weedness quippiness for me. It's like, oh, these characters are like being shitty to each other. Like it's actually justified using that if that and makes sense. And it's like and I think I think in this volume you get a real sense of how of self, Scott's self-absorption. Mm. So like he Kim has this boyfriend for a bit and we only really see him really occasionally because we only see him from Scott's perspective. Yeah. And Scott never remembers him. And then we get to a point where 
they're like, oh, were you dating that guy? And Kim was like, yes, of course I was. And you've met him multiple times. And every time you made the same observation about his name and you never realized him. And Scott's takeaway from it was, I knew someone with a car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Scott was how just it think- benefited him. Yeah. Scott was just thinking about how it could have benefited him had he been mm. a little bit more engaged with his friend in her life. And this is what I was saying before when you said about remembering facts about people. I was like, this is the complete opposite of Scott Pilgrim, who just completely yeah. forgets everyone. And at one point, this stretched my believability a little bit. He forgot he had a brother. Yeah, a massively. Bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I was like, what? Is this like a meta joke or what's <laughs> what's going on here? Like, and it's the brother whose base had broken. Yeah, yeah. He just smashed up his Ricky. Yeah, and exactly. That was like, like, why is this happening? Is this meant to be like a larger thing or just as a just as a little little thing here? I don't know if I talked about the instruments that they use in the first one. And obviously, there's a running joke in the over these two volumes that they're not playing gigs anymore because Stephen's making the album. Hmm. Um, but that that Ricky, that Rickenbacker, that's yeah. a four thousand and one bass. Um, so it's the same thing that Paul McCartney used in like the later Beatles era, sort of like White Album, Abbey Road kind of era. Sure. It's an incredibly expensive instrument. Right. So him breaking it should have had even more impact. Yeah, like we're talking like 2000 US roughly. Mm. Rick and Backer, because of their uh, manufacturing processes, the chemicals they use are only allowed to make stuff for so much of the year. They're not allowed to produce stuff all year round. So there's a massive scarcity of Rick and Backers. Mm. Like they're really highly sought after by Beatles fans. They're quite rare instruments. They're really interesting instruments. And Scott had borrowed his brother's bass on a long-term loan for many years and then smashed the neck off it and just handed it back to him in a case. Mm. What a bellend. See, his own brother. I think for me and probably most casual readers, I mean, casual readers in the sense we don't know about the instruments. Yeah. I think we all just took more of the um, sentimental value of the bass breaking. But what's also interesting is now that I think about it, the sentimentality is meant to be like, again, referencing the film, he, his being in a band is a big part of his identity. Yeah. But in these volumes, he's like, oh, are we not gigging right now? Like, just he, he could take or leave being a band. It's only when someone else is like, hey, when are you guys in the band? It's like, yeah, we should probably gig or something soon. Yeah. Like Kim talks about the lack of structure in her life now that she's not playing. Yeah, and that seems more like part of her identity almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kim says, you know, I used to drum three times a week and now I have no structure. And so and so these things and again it's it's just part of that vein of of Scott not being particularly present in the lives of the people around mm. him. Even in Ramona's life. Yeah. There's you know, there's 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 two scenes over the two volumes. There's two scenes in volume five where Ramona is getting ready in the morning and she's listing off all the things that she's gonna do that day. And she's like, mm. I'm gonna go run all these errands, blah, 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 blah. And you and I both know that when you're in a relationship and one of you has to go run a bunch of errands, the other one goes. Like, you go and run errands together. That's the thing you do together as a couple. Mm. And Scott's like, Scott. there's one time where Scott's one job for the day is to empty the dishwasher, and he just spends the entire day playing games on her phone. Was he actually... So I was a bit confused by this point. Was he actually playing games on the phone, or was he staring at the message from on Ramona's phone from Gideon. It wasn't a message from Gideon. It was a letter that she wrote to Gideon. Yeah. So was uh, so was he staring at that the entire time? Because that's what I think I got from it. But then after she says, oh, were you playing games again? I wasn't sure. I don't. But like either, either way, he has like, I genuinely made a note when she said, oh, can you empty the dishwasher? I literally made no. I said, I don't think he's going to empty the dishwasher. No, and of course he didn't. And then he didn't. But yeah. I made notes exactly like that of like that how dishwasher was a, that dishwasher was a loaded Chekhov's gun. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Mention the dishwasher. 
But it's the opposite where it doesn't happen. Yeah. But that's the point. But it's because it's Scott Pilgrim. Exactly. <laughs> Scott Pilgrim is the anti-Chekhov. <laughs> if you tell him to do something, he won't do If it gets mentioned, it won't be addressed. Yeah. Oh, and the fact that he loses his job after one shift and he's just like... But do we know why that was? Was it because he went out and talked to Ramona and... Her no, it's because so, yeah, well, it's because he left. He he jumped in Ramona's bag and she ran away with him mid shift. Right, yeah, that makes sense. Now. You didn't follow this very well, did you? It's because there was <laughs> there was a lot going on. <laughs> I know it's quite frenetic, isn't it? Yes, there's and I'm what reading bits being like, is this going to be paid off? Is this actually like a thing? And to be fair, by the end, it does seem like everything has actually paid off or like everything has culminated in something else. Yeah, but it felt when you're in the middle of it, it feels like just a lot of mild chaos almost. But I guess that is like kind of true for these early 20-somethings and what they do at this time, yeah? But yeah, it really it really spoke to me and my kind of arty friends in our early 20s and how much effort we put into things that didn't come into fruition and all the balls that we dropped in our lives and things that went wrong for us. Mm. It really does speak to my experience being like a postgraduate early 20-something, mm. you know? I'm still bewildered how Scott can do most of this stuff without a job. Like, I get the in this volume, he gets a job, and that's a big plot point. And that's probably the most realistic thing of, like, him not being able to afford to do anything. And then yeah. being like, oh, I have to get a job so I can afford rent. But even that is like, how were you existing beforehand? Well, people were people were just looking after him. That's they, the thing. He was like his his roommate, mm. uh, the Macaulay. I know, yeah. And he was the Macaulay, the one of the Culkins. The, uh, the more famous one now, because he was in succession. Yes. Yeah, no, he is, isn't he? Um, yeah, his roommate was paying for everything for him. Yeah. And then he'll go and meet up with friends. And again, it's never explicitly mentioned. But I'm at this point, I'm like hating Scott at this point. I'm like, is he paid for his food or has someone bought his food for him? Like, and it just feels like to have that kind of person around you. Like, I'm sure people I luckily have never been in that position. But I assume there's probably a lot of people listening who have at some point had that friend. I've had that friend. And it might not be malicious, but it is to the point because you like the person enough to get it, get whatever for them in the moment. But then it does become that longer thing of like, when are you actually going to get yourself together, you know? And I think it, I did feel that I was at least invested in this story because I was wanting to reach into the page and shake Scott and be like, just fucking get yourself together, man. Like, <laughs> and that's when I realized like, well, this is a good text because I'm invested in it. Like that's I think I think that's the response you're supposed to have. Exactly. It? But when it was just his faults kind of coming up way more than they did in the first three volumes. So yeah. volume four feels like his and to an extent five, his biggest like this is all his his worst traits are kind of coming to surface really front and center yeah that was a point where i was kind of losing a bit because i was like i don't like this character and I, i'm starting to care less what happens to him then when bad shit happens to him in response to his faults then i'm like oh now i'm on board again not because i wanted to see bad things happen to him but you 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 read these anything like this with a sense of like you want to see this karmic kind of justice happen and you want to see the character learn from it and grow like that's why character arcs are so you know fundamental part of storytelling um so when the bad stuff that did start happening to him and he kind of reacted in somewhat positive ways that was when i was like all oh, right here we go here, now it's going yeah i mean i think it's no more strongly felt than the very end of volume five when ramona is just puffed out of existence mm. and we see him in his new apartment with his parents and he's like oh a whole brand new apartment just for me and his dad's like yeah of course it is mm. Pa um, enabling parents for sure yeah yeah, 100 yeah. like they've just 
like found him somewhere to live all by himself and like kim leaves like kim mm. goes back home kim goes back up north she leaves toronto because she can't afford it yeah and she falls out with her housemate for various dra- early 20s drama which just happens at that point doesn't it yeah i think there's again there's a lot of richness in like the relationships and everything that mm. happens now um i've got a lot of notes it's mostly like pinpoints like i feel like representations as they kind of go yeah um i made note of why i thought it was a great kamikaze burn which was um ramona saying telling scott you're the nicest guy i've ever dated and scott going that's kind of sad <laughs> <laughs> and moments like that i was like is he self-aware because <laughs> he sounds he it. kind of is so this yeah. is the, this is the tragic thing is that he kind of is self-aware I did like there's a pa- panel with the basket of shopping that him and uh, what's the roommate's name? I forget, but I took a screenshot of that because I thought I generally was going to bring up as like it's a really nice, vibrant panel of just a basket of shopping. Like I thought the art really kind of shone without people in it. So it's a beautiful panel. I think the thing, the key thing here is that um, Canada's quite an expensive country to live in. At least it was at the time, and like. Butter was two ninety nine, which to somebody in the noughties in Britain would have seemed extremely expensive. And now I'm like, oh, imagine being able to get butter <laughs> for three quid. <laughs> I mean, literally a culinary dream. <laughs> but I know what you mean, exactly. 2003 prices in anything. But it was such a 20-somethings basket. Like, there's one ramen noodle, which is made very clear in the notes underneath the receipt. The ramen is for Scott. Wallace buys two Diet Cokes every day, two litres. <sighs> Like, that's early 20s diet that for guy sure. pounds four liters of diet coke a day as soon as once you get into your late 20s you feel that shit yeah, yeah like that goes through you man it, uh, some of it goes through some of it stays on you that's <laughs> that's the problem just because it says diet does not necessarily mean oh, can we not talk about fucking aspartame <laughs> i was talking about just diet sugars in general yeah, like, yeah. they're not great for weight loss there's like water retention that kind of stuff obviously i'm not a doctor do your own research unless it comes to vaccines then listen to doctors also listen to doctors on diet drinks i'm sure they're probably on the same consensus as well aren't they no doctors are recommending diet coke as like a an answer to anything really yeah it's certainly not as a replacement to fucking water oh god <laughs> to, our, to our american listeners <laughs> <laughs> hey you tell me off when i shit on the americans too much there is a big thing about america's not drinking enough water like that is a that is a thing i think i might have read it on reddit oh, oddly enough everything on reddit is true yeah obviously yeah election interference probably (laughs) (laughs) definitely not that obviously just want to make that clear um i got a bit annoyed by scott not knowing that the l word uh, this actually comes back to what you were saying earlier the the l word he kept referencing as lesbian and not love and i don't know if that again coming back to the knives kim bit was he was that on his mind because he was thinking of that scenario but thinking of that scenario in a my two people i'm surprised two people that i didn't know liked each other were getting off like, yeah was it that or like you pointed out is he has he got this weird fixation with yeah. lesbians As a, unfortunately unfortunately the the reality is it's not weird unfortunately like it's a no it's it's not uncommon yeah no it's weird but it's not uncommon yes it's it's hard to justify yeah but um yeah it's it's weird that he just kept coming back to like that was a running joke yeah and that was the point for me, and I think I've got I've got a few other notes that we'll get to as well, but it felt like he was going through a kind of Joey syndrome. <laughs> well, he's getting stupider. Well, not just stupider, but just the, for me, I use that to describe just when the stupidity is at a level where it's unbelievable. Yeah. And it's it's hard to argue for this kind of thing where we've got the, was it the subspace 
channels or whatever they're called yeah, and which he knows how to use and video game fights and extra yeah. lives at one point he pulls a sword out of his chest so for all that stuff i'm like fine that's the world we're in but when he is the stupidest character by a mile that for me it kind of breaks the suspension of disbelief i mean the thing with the subspace highways and him pulling a sword out of his chest and a lot of the fight scenes um there is a precedent for scott being the best fighter in the province like that's the thing and Every time Scott gets in a fight, they go, well, it's Scott. He'll be fine. That does feel like the most random thing, because he struggles a lot in the fights. He struggles a lot, but he's pretty good. Like, he knows what he's doing. Well, we don't know what that'd be compared to everyone else. Like, Ramona seems like a pretty good fighter, and they never mention how how good a fighter she is. Yes. But the thing I was going to say about the subspace high race Mm. is that we're four issues in, and he's kind of starting to use them, but not doing a very good job of it. And Ramona nailed that in issue one. Well, she was already using them, was he? She didn't discover them in yeah, issue yeah. She'd already been using them for a while. And apparently it was her ex-girlfriend who actually showed uh, them in the first place. Yeah. Bit of backstory lore, which I appreciated. But again, when you've, got a, when you've got a world where all this is happening, if a character like Scott is really dumb, do, do I feel justified being mad at it when there's all this other stuff going on? Yes. Like, it's not like in Friends, Friends, Joey and Friends was literally set in the real world. Like... It, there was no fantastic yeah, he became unbelievably thick by the end of yeah it. but then again like a note i made later was scott at one point records a bass line for their album and then the two minutes and some change later he goes that music was awesome who was that and they had to go that was you playing the bass and that again for me was like how stupid are we allowing these characters to be how, in this world i mean i think there's a detachment with scott isn't there there's a fun thing that happens in the studio, by the way, which is totally a thing that happens in the music recording process, where Scott recorded something and was like, that sounds great. And the guy was like, yeah, I'm just going to record it when you leave. Yeah. That is so, that's so a thing that happens to bassists and drummers all the fucking time. <laughs> yeah. It seemed like that kind of stuff was like low-key enough that it seemed realistic. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But again, the focus on Scott's stupidity kind of took me out a little bit. But again, then I felt more justified when his friends were getting mad at him for this kind of stuff. There was one bit where I actually empathized with Scott quite a bit, which might have seemed stupid, but I actually think it was more of a realistic point. There's a point where him and Ramona are talking, and she, they, they, the conversation becomes, why do we like each other? Like, that's the topic. And I felt like Scott got kind of cornered in an unfair way, because yeah. he can't articulate why he likes Ramona, right? And she gets a little mad at him, and he kind of points, he has to, he tries, he says one point, like, well, you're hot, and she's, you know, like, well, is that it kind of thing? I did feel a bit of empathy for Scott, but like, if you are into someone and around them and enjoying their company, I think it's really difficult to articulate, why do you enjoy my company? Like, yeah, why do you like someone? But they're the kind of, they're the kind of conversations that new couples will have. Yes. Like, it is accurate. That's, and that's what I mean. I empathized with him, I think, by, I could imagine being in that scenario. I probably have to, to some degree. Like, you know, someone's asked you to answer the, answer a question, a deep personal question that could only be answered if you were like, shakespearean poet you know yes and a, a young 20 something in 2003 isn't going to probably be able to articulate like this is why you make me feel good and I, scott doesn't have a high degree of emotional intelligence either exactly his eq is very low but then the the part that i was actually pushed me on scott's side was when i realized that when ramona because she kind of gets like a well i've described why i like you so why are you find it so difficult? Her reason wasn't great, was it? Her reason was your. She just she describes him as small minded or simple minded. Um, yeah, simple minded. So when she's kind of get like, oh, you're 
finding it difficult to describe me. I was like, you called him simple. Like, that's not good. You like the fact that he struggles to explain things. He's exactly. simple-minded. And then the problem is, because he is simple-minded, <laughs> he, yeah, do- he doesn't catch on to her calling her simple. It's like the like a week later, be like, Hey, wait a minute! Like, is there is there, are we are we are we identified that there's an undercurrent sense that Scott Pilgrim might have some learning difficulties? Is I mean, this what we're saying? I mean, emotional for sure. I think I think ADHD is like the probably most likely candidate for Scott. I think that yes. answers a lot with him. I identify with a lot of what's going on for Scott. Yes. <laughs> and maybe again, all his faults. Maybe that's why this is such a great story. Yeah. Is because it's so relatable especially to like us who grew up and were similar well i mean we they're a lot older than we're a decade younger than them but it still feels like that coming of age in this modern society there's a lot of crossover despite the technological differences it does feel like this age of like being in arrested development for much longer in life which i think is a topic we covered in the first episode but yeah growing up is happening at a later and later point in life nowadays than it was like 50 years ago do you notice there's an omission of a really core character from the first three volumes? I'm going to try and remember, to see if, I'm going to try and think to remember if I can, who that is. Um, no, no, I don't think so. His sister. Yeah, who was Anna Kendrick in the film. Yes. Yeah. Wasn't she the one at the coffee shop? Yeah, but again, he goes to the... <laughs> there's a really fun moment where Scott, again, Scott being really stupid doesn't realize that not all of the exteriors of this coffee shop lead to the same interior mm. and so he walks into another branch of the coffee shop his sister works in and sees knives working there or tamara knives i think is knives and um it's just like oh you're not my sister <laughs> so she's still about but she he, she's just not talking to scott or he's mm. not really talking to his sister i think she was mainly a function of introducing him to other people in the first volumes because she was cool and had her shit together yeah, and that's probably why she's fucked off now. She's like, look, I don't want any of this bollocks the Scots in. I've got my shit together. I'm just going to get on with my life. Yeah, maybe. But that's, that's fucking hilarious, isn't it? His sister's just, cannon. <laughs> sister's just abandoned him. Mm. I do think the whole him getting a job was like a kind of make or break bit for me. Because yeah. like, as soon as the job was mentioned, I was like, again, Chekhov's job. I was like, <laughs> is he going to get it? And is he going to keep it? Probably not. Um, When he was asking people about jobs, I was... I was trying to interpret his reluctance. I couldn't tell if it was him embarrassed about asking for a job, like the fact that he couldn't just get one by himself, that he needed to rely on a friend, or was he just literally reluctant to get a job, but still felt that he needed to? I think this speaks to his lack of awareness to the world, where he wasn't able to comprehend of a job that one of his friends wasn't already doing. Mm. He was like, well, they have jobs there, so that must be where jobs are from. <laughs> yeah. But even then, he, you would think that inspires some kind of confidence of like, here's the jobs. Can I have a job, please? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he was still kind of like, oh, uh, jobs? And they're like, what? He's like, nothing, nothing. Like, uh, I thought it, that was weird. I was trying to work yeah. out what the meaning of it was. But then he got a job and he held it down right until the end of volume five. He, he got the job and then he got fired, but then he managed to plead his case because the running theme is Scott's life, it always works out for him yeah. in the end um so he gets it back and that's why the running joke of his friends saying that if his life was a person they'd punch him in the face or if punch his life in the face yeah and then uh, well that because they, they they make the joke and then they torture it 
if your life had a face, I'd punch it. Yeah. And then at the end, Stephen still says, if your life had a face, I'd kick it in the balls. Yeah. <laughs> and I get it because, again, it just always works out for him. Like, he fucked up a job, but then he's like, oh, can I have my job back, please? And they're like, all right, fine. Yeah, we hadn't hired anyone else. Yeah. Fuck it. Which, those kind of minimum wage jobs, that is a bit of realism, isn't I it? I know how it works. Yeah. Yeah, you have to are. really fuck up for a minimum wage job to be like, actually, we don't want you back. <laughs> to really, I mean, not these days, because... Well, I don't know. I don't know what the job scene is right now. That's how high is impl- unemployment right now? I haven't is, checked the data. That is a position of privilege, my friend. <laughs> yes, my we, brother in Christ. We are privileged. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are. It'd be worse to not acknowledge the privilege. Yeah, That's the yeah. worst thing you can do if you're privileged. Well, there's much worse things you can do if you're privileged. <laughs> I was going to say, mate, have you seen the Tory party recently? It's one of the bad things you can do if you're privileged. It's one of the ways you can misuse privilege. Yeah. I did really appreciate after his first day that it was um, the time lapse was a million hours later. Yeah. That is exactly. I mean, we've done those jobs. We it's exactly your first day. Maybe you have a trial shift to begin with, and that's only a couple of hours. But then the first proper <laughs> shift is like the one where you actually like, oh no, you actually have to stay till close, and you're like, oh what? And then you're like, oh my god, how long was that shift? Ryan's referencing this specifically because I just got a second job in a part in a I bar. Didn't, you didn't have to mention it if you didn't want to. <laughs> no, I'm mate. I'm doing it again. Very privileged. I'm doing it for fun. <laughs> <laughs> Working for fun. <laughs> I know, right? Disgusting. I'm doing it because it looks like a fucking laugh. <laughs> Disgusting. But yeah, um, that yeah, million hours later, I think like first person's job. That was like Brian Leo Malley does have a real knack for kind of articulating not just through dialogue but through like the tropes of the comic like articulating like the feeling of young people at that time i've been a pot washer yeah. i've done that job and it does that was my first like, job yeah yeah yeah, yeah no 100 percent. and when and it, you, when you get like it all builds up and you just kind of stand there like i could either freak out over, over, over overwhelmed of the work or i just get on with it when you when you got your first pot washing job how old were you and how much did you get paid uh 16 yeah and might have been 15 might have been 15 um minimum wage whatever that was i think it was like five four pound five pound an hour so maybe i was 13 mm. and i got four pounds an hour yeah and i worked four hours on a friday night and four hours on a saturday night and i was balling <laughs> <laughs> i had more money than anyone in my friendship group <laughs> a kid with money is like a was a, a monkey with a machine gun <laughs> <laughs> Don't know what to do. Not going to do anything good with it. <laughs> Not for a few years. Yeah, absolutely. It did feel a bit like there was a lot of filler. Like I said earlier, it felt like a lot of mild chaos was going on. I didn't yeah. know if everything was going to pay off. I did get a feeling midway through volume four that I was like, is, is this just filler? Like, is this important what's happening now? And by the end, it did feel like everything was there for a reason. Yeah. I didn't quite get the feeling of like, Ooh, this this tapestry of like points that all culminated like a bloody George R R Martin. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. it didn't quite feel like that, but it did at least when I thought about it, I was like, well, yeah, that led to that, and I suppose that led to that, and yeah, that. There's a strong sense of cause and effect here, and everything pays yeah. off. I think the thing with it is we're so used to such high drama in comic books. We're so used to comics being these superhero life or death things, particularly comics that have the supernatural element that this does. Mm. If there's a science fiction or supernatural element, things usually become quite high stakes. Yeah. Whereas this is all very low stakes shit. There yeah. is an album being made that only ends up being 17 minutes long. <laughs> I mean, a band's first got- album, is that not like a normal kind of 
time? No, no, and at a long place, half an hour, isn't it? Yeah, but an o- like an open mic band who aren't represented or anything. Like. Yeah, I mean the fun. I suppose the funny thing about Sex Bomb is that they do make these like one minute, two minute long punk songs. Yeah, and so, so a like punk, a first punk album, seventeen minutes. That's <laughs> that's like what almost seventeen songs. <laughs> Not not far off. It's actually thirty four songs, right? Exactly. So I mean, bloody these days. If you listen to bloody pop music these days, it's like less than a minute long. Some songs. It's crazy. Ryan, there is a record collection down there, <laughs> and it's almost exclusively people that were dead before I was born. Mate, <laughs> I don't listen to a whole lot of modern pop music. So apparently, I don't listen to music either. But I've, I've I don't seen listen it. to music. I have no joy there. No music. By di- I've seen the the song lengths being an issue, and apparently, what the reason is is because of Spotify. It's because artists literally get more from more listens per song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, or no, more s- songs with more listens than overall listens of like an album because yeah. every song is individual. Yeah. So they, to them, it's well, I could make a three and a half minute song, or I could make a one and a half minute song, and then people will listen to more songs, and I will have more listens as an artist. So it's literally the technology has literally changed pop music. Forty years ago, if you put out a seventeen minute album, people would be like, that doesn't even fit a that doesn't fill a twelve inch. Why mm. the fuck would I buy this? And even as late as like twenty years ago, it'd be like, oh a concept album. Like yeah. it was it was just it had its own niche. But nowadays it's just like I mean no, I don't think any pop artists are gonna make like seventeen minute songs. Maybe an album. That literally might be their albums these days. Ah, that's yeah. a sad thought, isn't it? And we're getting older, as a constant reminder. Yeah, fuck. I mean, I think there's this thing where I am an, a younger millennial, but I consume music the same way that my dad did in the 70s. Like, I like buying vinyl and listening to vinyl. Basically, so, we're hipsters. Yeah, but I don't like to phrase it that way, Ryan. Because it's true. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think a friend of ours did make a good point recently is that we all we're all hipsters unless you're into the mainstream stuff then the to be a hipster is to be like into more niche stuff but niche things are bigger now than they've ever been before because, because they the have internet. a place to exist yeah. exactly so it's more it's more rare to not be hipster in any way by the strictest definitions than it is yes. to be hipster and 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 Scott Pilgrim's a really great example. Like this wasn't a this huge... is the hipster comic yeah they they they're all bitter hipsters. And like the comic itself, before the film came out, pretty you know under like not I don't like to use the term underground, but it wasn't a huge blockbuster, was it? It was known in comic book circles, which yeah. at that time was still like comic book movies. We'd had like Spider Man, X Men, and ob- yeah. obviously a Batman and Superman before, but still comic books, superheroes were more popular. Comic books as a medium were still completely undertouched yeah. by the mainstream. But within comics, there's uh, one of these volumes won the 2006 best comic of the year yes so or a an, an award so they were known but within this very niche market he never got an eisner though did he no and to i can understand why i think eisners are like you were saying about the stakes i feel like eisners are a bit more like that kind of level stuff uh like wide last man and mouse and things like that whereas this it feels like you've done a really good job of articulating the the angst of a early 20 something canadian but unfortunately no one cares that much <laughs> i mean it's cool like i feel like toronto is less of a character in this the like this the setting is less prominent and prevalent in this issue in these volumes than the first three well that's the thing we've seen before where we like do you remember rogue sun it was set in new orleans and 
that was very much a if it's set on New Orleans, that's only evident in like the first couple issues and then it's kind of gone. You don't see enough of New Orleans, do yeah. you? I think it's because it's part of the setting, which is what you do in the first couple of issues, and then you if you if you're making an interesting enough story, then that becomes the focus. But then maybe you might be like if it's San Francisco, yeah, a few issues in my like, oh, they're on the Golden Gate Bridge or something later. But yeah. they, and, and they reference some really Canadian things in the first volume. Mm. Like they talk about the tragically hip, who are, I think I talked about it in the first episode, but Probably. we're going to do it again. Yes. A, a really... Part two, baby. <laughs> the tragically hip were a huge Canadian kind of soft rock band. Right. And if you were a cool kid in Canada in the 90s and 2000s, you had tragically hip cds and you put them on a parties like mm. they were the fucking dudes um and that kind of comes up in the first volume and it's like oh there's a little reference to something a bit canadian and a bit cool mm. and then in this issue they're just kind of bleh. i i think again i think it's because they uh o'malley does have to fit the actual plot now more and they i think you have to be a bit more conservative with like panel space and page space and stuff like that we've not talked about the art yet well it's because the art is pretty much the same as the first one so that's kind of why i skipped it i don't think it colored very well fair enough and i don't think that is a slight on the colorist at all i enjoyed the coloring um i there were some parts where it's is evidently good like the shopping uh basket yep, and things yep, like that really vibrant really beautiful and then the rest of the time uh, it didn't i didn't notice it which is it, it's it's an achievement in itself when it's just doing the job so a running joke through the comic book is that Ramona Flowers' hair changes all the time and you can't see the ja- colour change. Yeah, I was going to question that and you've just answered that already because I was going to be like, hang on, how do they do that in the black and white? And they that had, makes sense now. They had little notes that they deleted out. I th- they should have left in the notes. Yeah, which is funnier, isn't it? It would have been a great callback. Because I'm, I'm so confident that the first time I read this, I read it in black and grey. Yeah. And I preferred it black and grey than I did coloured. See, uh, I, obviously I haven't read the black and grey. I feel like the coloured works more, not only for the coloured hair, which is why I was going to ask that dumb question, yeah. but also, like, I was thinking about the another black and white comic, The Walking Dead. That's obviously a lot more tonally fits because it's meant to be dark and gloomy and, you know, the lack of colours, the lack of, like, life in the world and stuff like that. Whereas for this, I feel like it's only black and white because of it's the manga influence. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. But it looked great, black and grey. I feel like the colour one must be pretty good as well. Like, I'd have to compare one or two, but I feel like the colour must have been pretty good as well. There's less lines in the clouds. That's So, for listeners, Jamie is showing me a panel. It's of um, something Demon Head, the band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and in the black and white one, there's a lot more lines in the cloud behind, in the smoke behind them. Whereas in the colour one, for some reason, they take out the lines. And I think, for me, that's the biggest difference. They also neatened up some of the faces. So, if you look, um, her face is just a little less sleek and a bit more anime. Yeah. And then when you get into the color one look, they've sleekened her face up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose that must have been for a reason. I think it must have like fit the coloring a bit better. It's just a redesign, isn't it? Like mm. they gave they gave it a spruce up. But I do, but I I, I did prefer it in black and gray. Yeah. But I enough. like black and gray art. Yeah. You know, I, I, mean, I think it's personal preference. I have arms full of black and white tattoos, don't I? Like, I like stuff in black and grey. I thought you just couldn't afford the colour. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, annoyingly, getting tattooed in black and grey does not make it any cheaper. Gillian, there must be extra time that you save, like, an hour of work if they don't colour it, don't they? Well, no, because the shading takes just as long. Yeah, but then colouring on top of shading. Do they not do shading as well with colouring? A little bit. So you'll punch, you'll punch a little bit of shading in and then you'll colour. It probably depends on the tattoo. I think the best example is like if you've got a tattoo of a Rubik's Cube, 
if you got that in black and white, that'd probably be a lot quicker than if you got the colors on it. Yeah. So it probably depends per tattoo. But um, I did find the tension in some scenes did really ramp up her points. Mm. The main point that I made of was uh, when Scott's in Lisa's apartment. Yeah. That I was surprised and almost like taken aback by how well paced that it suddenly like slowed down. It's so interesting because we see him with knives and he's very naive Mm. and he's this grown man with a teenage girl but we kind of get a sense that there's nothing lascivious happening there. Yeah. And then he meets Ramona and his first sexual encounters with her are incredibly awkward and he's incredibly naive. Mm. And then he's in Lisa's apartment and he's like, you've been dressing up for me. Aren't I lucky? Mm. And it's like, you've noticed that he's accrued this sexual confidence that he yep. didn't have before. And ultimately he's like, I love Ramona and, and they, and they have an actual conversation and it's very, I think quite sensitively handled. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, you are right. They they create more tension in those scenes. There's a different kind of tension in those scenes, isn't I, there? I felt like I was worried about the outcome of this individual scene. Yeah, whereas volumes one and two, Scott, he kind of was almost asexual. <laughs> He's naive enough that, yeah, but he comes across that way for sure. But yeah, this dealt, it felt like a ramping up of sexual tension. I did feel like they were trying to have the cake and eat it too, where he had the waking up the next morning not remembering what happened. And I was like, why he doesn't drink and they actually they address it where he's like why don't i remember anything and she's like well you did eat a lot of pizza <laughs> i was like <laughs> yeah. i was like is that just for the joke or because i i think they were trying to have that like the trope you know waking up next morning oh my god did anything happen between us the other person going no you passed out or whatever and, th- and that relief of like oh thank god and i think they were trying to have that but then after it's like oh yeah he doesn't drink let's just say he had too much pizza so i think they were trying to have that trope without justifying he gets drunk for the first time yeah of two sips which was incredibly realistic for someone who hasn't drunk before and then he turns up hungover to a big fight yeah <laughs> i've never been hungover before yeah, yeah. he's like I, why do i feel so sluggish <laughs> I, I do find it interesting that he was written to be uh, a non-drinker yeah and is now drinking like it feels quite you would think anyone else i think writing an early 20 something kid like essentially would be drinking at this point yeah, like yeah. all his friends drink and it's it's I know I, I was surprised I think in the first volumes that he wasn't drinking and I'm even more surprised now that he started drinking like it wasn't like a hard and fast like I don't drink which some people are just like that like I'm more surprised I speak to someone they go oh I've never tried alcohol and I choose not to and I'm like yeah, yeah. that's a great choice how I've, have you managed that well exactly <laughs> it's a good choice I'm surprised you got to it so quickly we like in, in Britain life. it's everywhere it's part of the culture it's literally in our blood well, not right now. It's a Monday. But uh, how long has it been since <laughs> since the last one? I don't. I'm pleading. How long has it been since breakfast? <laughs> oh, Ryan, Ryan, <laughs> darling, free breakfast. The the Europeans wouldn't dream of starting the day without a, a tequila or two. Oh, are you referencing the Mitchell, Mitchell web, web sketch? sketch yeah. The greatest sketch of all time. So good. So M- well. Mate. So well performed. One of the best pieces of writing in the modern world, I would say. And beautifully performed by both of them. Yes. Nailed it. Like I don't know even what you call it. Like Mitchell Webb shop, like corner shop sketch or something yeah. probably. But if you're listening, look it up. It's amazing. I feel. I don't know if I'm overselling it because I just love it so much. No, but... no. I watched it the other day and it it really tickled me again. The same way it did 10 years ago when it came More than 10 years ago that it came out. God. David Mitchell. In terms of comedy sketches, this is his... um. 
there will be blood daniel day lewis like this is his like living the character this is his four candles sketch yes it was their four candles moment wasn't it something funny happens in a corner shop but also gets so under like i've not heard anyone else talk about it it's so weird because peep show is beloved right and peep show is good but i think their sketch show was as good if not better well the sketch show they wrote they didn't write Peep oh, Show. Oh, they just starred in Peep Show. Yeah, but they obviously, they influenced Peep Show a lot. Like, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. they made the characters, basically. And Olivia Coleman's in the sketch show a lot. Yeah, yeah. And she is just golden in whatever she's in. She's such a good actor. Yeah. I mean, she bloody won an Oscar later, so... Did she? Yeah. What did she get an Oscar for? Um, I think it was... God, put me on the spot now. There, let me let me Google it. Is Olivia... Because she's one of ours, mate. Yeah, she's one of us. Uh, she was in here. Peep Shows. Oh, around here. Yeah, she's from Norwich, mate. I literally had no idea. Yeah, she's from she's from the Golden Triangle. Well, I've never seen her. So <laughs> <laughs> well, she doesn't live in the Golden Triangle anymore, mate. But she's from Norwich. It's a whole other page for awards. <laughs> she's got that many of them. She's got a lot, but I want to know where the main one is yeah. from. Yeah, she's got a lot of the television awards, but I want to know where the film award is from. I imagine she got a, te- a TV award for Peep Show at some point. She won the. Best Actress Academy Award for a film called The Favourite in 2019, cool. where she a period black comedy film. So, you know, oh. like relative to, you know, the Mitchell Webb sketch stuff she probably did. Oh. And yeah, a bunch of BAFTA awards and stuff like that as well. She's NMP. a fantastic actor. Yeah, of course. Um, did you notice her cameo in The Bear? Yeah, that was a great one. Yeah. She was really good at it, wasn't yeah. she? So many weird cameos in that. I like, know, yeah, no, and, and not in this first season. It seems that it's one of those things that when they were making season two, it was so popular that they could just call up anyone and be like, you want a cameo? <laughs> yeah. Well, that, I'm going to mention something somewhat related, tangentially related to that later. Um, Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't upset the people. No, I was just looking at those because I was, uh, I did appreciate towards the end of volume five, we actually started getting some reveals I didn't see coming. I think. Oh, what did you not spot? I didn't spot. I, for some reason, didn't anticipate that the guy with the sword following Scott was Knives' dad. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think, to be fair, I don't know if that, it, that's a good thing because I didn't, um, I think it just, it helped better because when everything was a bit scattershot, I felt like, oh, is this all going to come together? So when it actually did, it was more of a surprise to me. Whereas if it was like a by the numbers, more of a standard plot, like a standard story arc. Yeah. I would have seen it coming. But because you had all this different stuff going on with the different relationships and then some like action sprinkled in between them, which goes underplayed, which I think is part of the story. Like yeah. Scott's fighting a robot. Like it's it's underplayed. Yeah. Um I, I say it's probably volume four I'm talking about at the end of. Did you notice the really nice consequence of the whole subplot with Knives Dad? That he basically respects Scott somewhat towards the end. Yes. And that helps Knives. Well, it he he comes in and says, "I think Scott Pilgrim would be a perfectly acceptable boyfriend for you," and that's the point at which she stops following Scott around and gets into mm. Steve. And it's like now that her dad approves, she's like, "Actually, this other guy's pretty good looking." <laughs> I actually, I don't think I noticed that, but that is a very that is a astute observation. Yeah, that's that's mm. how it all played out, and they don't they don't reference it, but it is what happens, and I just think it's fun. I did like the joke of the dad when he says that he no he. I can't remember what he says, but he's basically it, Knives and her friend are at Knives' house, and the dad walks past and says something in Chinese. Yeah. And then the friend goes, What did he say? And Knives goes, I don't know, it's in Chinese. Yeah. And I thought, That's a great joke because I think I, like, I think a lot of Western readers 
would just have the incorrect assumption that someone who was born someone who was born of uh first generation immigrants would know the language of their of where she they're just from. doesn't and she doesn't and it is a point for me where i was like of course she doesn't just automatically yeah. know chinese just because her parents are chinese so yeah i thought that was a, a fun joke and it literally plays into the reader's expectation so yeah. i didn't feel like a piece of shit being like oh wait because it was like it was literally geared towards yeah. that no they knew you were gonna make that that, exactly. that misapprehension they knew you were gonna have that misapprehension and, and they subverted it my physical reaction literally went all right, you got me. Oh, yeah, all right, you mate. <laughs> knew, you knew what I was going to do. But yeah, I thought that was really smart. I did notice towards this point we got, there was a page I noticed there. I think it was towards the end of one of the volumes, I think of volume four, there was some special thanks. And they were very 2000, whenever this, 2006, I think this one came out. It very of 2006 because um, one of the special thanks was Kanye West. <laughs> <laughs> Why were they thanking Kanye? I maybe, I think... Maybe he referenced them in a song or something. And uh, the that's w- hilarious. That uh, speaking of things that don't age well, that might be the worst. <laughs> yeah, I generally I just searched Kanye West Scott Pilgrim, and the first result to come up is a Reddit page. Why is Kanye West thanked at the beginning <laughs> of Scott Pilgrim? So maybe we're not going to get answers to this one. I mean, it's Reddit, so it might provide them, or it might just you know be conspiracy theories. Yeah. So apparently uh, O'Malley included Kanye because he was one of the artists that he was listening to when he was working on the books. So fair enough. Right. Okay. I mean, that's kind of, that's just so-so, isn't it? I mean, again, that's, it's, it's, what's it? Hitching your wagon to the wrong horse. I'm a bit whelmed by that, Ryan. That is a good whelmed. I'm neither over nor under. Yeah, I'm just whelmed by it. Mm. But I did like this point. We start getting to even more of the foreshadowing of Gideon. Yeah. And that was something we touched on in the first volumes but i feel like it appropriately ramps up at the right times there's this really interesting thing that happens in volume six where we start to see a lot of ramona's interior monologue and she is chained up as a kind of think jab of the heart and leia with gideon having her chained up right yeah and you don't notice it in issue five when he accidentally goes through her through the subspace highway that goes through Mm. her brain but she's like no get out of here get out of here and she pushes him out yeah and it's because she's still Gideon is in there with her, mm. right? And that's where the light is coming from, and that's that's like the big arc of Volume Six. I felt like that was a great metaphor, and this is my interpretation. Feel free if I'm wrong. I felt like that was a great uh, metaphor for her still having this carried on trauma from an abusive ex, mm. like to a degree, like within this kind of context. But it felt like the reason she was pushing him out, it wasn't like uh, Gav here. I'm still in love with Gideon. It was like. This is my private pain, and I don't want anyone to see it. I'm not ready for you to see it. It's yet. kind of both, yeah. And yeah. that's the thing. When once you get once you get into volume six, volume six is quite a lot heavier. There is a tonal shift for volume six. Um, probably going to read volume six again over the next few days just to cap it off. Sure. Well, at some point we're gonna do the we're gonna do the last one. Like there'll be more Scott we're gonna have stuff. To, yeah. We? Like we're gonna have to. The overarching arc of all the comics that would have been like our overarching arc of the podcast. I did not anticipate <laughs> it being Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. But... No. It's a weird one. To, it's a weird one for us to have latched onto mm. like this because it's not even that popular anymore. Well, I mean, you say that, but the reason we're doing it, it might be again. I mean, it was a very popular film, and it, it, I think it was like a cult audience film when it came out. Yeah. I think it did well as well. I mean, Edgar Wright got more famous and successful on the back of it. I mean, Edgar Wright, Edgar Wright couldn't miss at this point in time. Well, so one thing I was going to say, I was going to, we were going to do the comic and I was going to mention this at the end, but I'll mention it now. The, what we're doing this entire of is a animated TV show for, based 
more directly on the comics than the film was. So, and the art is literally like the colored um, art of the comic book yeah, it looks in, really in motion. Yeah. But what's interesting in motion, in motion, you know, <laughs> it, it's, ha- it's moving. No, 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 no. You're absolutely perfectly accurate. It's just a weird way of phrasing it. Like a it. Harry Potter picture. They're always moving. <laughs> phrasing. <laughs> but um, the actual voice cast as we saw in the reveal trailer which i think i showed you it the part of the reveal trailer show me no i've never seen it i think i saw you a link i was like hey look at this you sending me a link of me actually watching something are two very different things yep now that you point out that that (laughs) adhd again well let's get a live reaction famous comic literate podcast live reactions from james this is becoming a thing now (laughs) where you just make me react to cartoon trailers trailers or just very violent sections very violent parts Right, so now I'm going to show you, and I'll cut out the two minutes that you're watching it, and then we'll check back in with you. Okay, we'll check back in with Jamie. I like that you, Brian has a grandma case on his phone, like a wallet case. Do the little thing where you stand it up on it, and that's quite enjoyable to me. I don't know why everyone else doesn't have it. Yeah, that's amazing. Looks amazing. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think Michael Sarah was the right choice to voice an animated Scott Pilgrim. I mean, I think the the big part of it is, is they are getting all the same voice cast back from the film. I mean, there's one that we're missing. Which one? Uh, you know, the first Evil X, the skateboarding dude. Yes. In the film, he was played by Chris Pine, I want to say. Or... No, Chris Evans. Yeah. Chris He's back. Ev- no shit. They yeah. actually got Chris Evans yeah. for it. So this was a point I kept alluding to that I was going to finally make now, having shown you this. So what happened was when they made the film... Apparently, they had such a great time, all the actors and, and Edgar as well, they had such a great time that they made a, of its time, an email chain where they were all in. Aww. And they all kept in touch. And apparently, Chris Evans said this, apparently, like, whenever any of them had anything big, they all, like, congratulated each other on this chain and stuff. <laughs> and then when it came time to making this, t- this uh, animated show, uh, Edgar Wright is a producer on it. And he was like, I wonder who I can get back from the original cast. So he literally, I think he got maybe like Michael Sarah first and maybe- Did he resurrect a 20-year-old email chain? He didn't resurrect it, it was still going. That's so cute. And he went into it, he was just like, hey, we're making the animated show. Does anyone want to reprise their roles? And everyone said yes. So and- Ryan, what I need you to do for me now is your best Michael Sarah impression, him writing a congratulatory email to Chris Evans after The Winter Soldier came out. All right. All right. <clears throat> Hey, Chris, I saw uh, The Winter Soldier and uh, thought it was really good. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> That's, is that all he said? Yeah. Like one of the biggest films of the decade. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Seary's not like an over-the-top, like, you know, he's quite succinct. Can you imagine Chris Evans having to sit and watch the rebooted season of Arrested Development just so he had something nice to say to Michael Sarah about it? I think <laughs> at that time he was probably more like, how are the films going? Like, <laughs> he was doing films at that time as well. Like, he was more yeah. famous by that point. But the main point as well is that apparently not the reason they all said yes was all the actors have said Edgar Wright is amazing to work with. Mm. Like, that is a common consensus. Simon Pegg and Nick Frost say the same thing. But you, then, like, they, they came up together, so you would expect them to say that. It's like bloody Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi. Like, of, they, they were friends before they yeah, made the film. Yeah, but Seth Rogen and... Um, oh, God, what's his name? Squinty Eyes. Uh, James Franco. Um, <laughs> Can we take out that? <laughs> <laughs> no, James Franco has squinty eyes. Like there is a not... 
there is a um the the roast of james franco is go there was someone pointed out like that like james franco is such a great actor sometimes you can't tell when he's awake <laughs> scandal noted yeah um, scandal noted yeah <laughs> but they all have horrible things to say about john Apatow. Yeah, like they're all like he is he's great but he's fucking brutal to be around and i think john apto's like yes that is true like do you know when he when they were working on freaks and geeks he wasn't always on set he was in a control room mm. and they when they didn't perform very well they would just hear him booing from another room and like and they were young kids like um yeah. jason star would have been like 16 17 at the time jason siegel no jason star jason star which one's that one um, who who is that? Do what else would I maybe know him from? Uh, you'd know him from uh, Knocked Up. Uh, they're all in not all the freaks yeah, and geeks no, guys are yeah, in Knocked no, Up. Yeah, no, they're all they're all in Knocked Up. You don't know how little that doesn't narrow it down. Um, he's the guy who is he takes. Robin. You think Martin Star? Martin, Martin Star. Star. Martin yes. Star. There we yeah. go. Sorry, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you combine Jason Siegel and Martin Star <laughs> together. Fucked up. <laughs> so I we'll wonder fi- you didn't have a scoop of what I was on about. We'll fix it in editing. Nah, leave it. Or I'll make it worse. Leave Either it. way. I mean, the people who listen to this podcast should know that I have severe face blindness when it comes to other human beings. I'm like Scott. And yet, it's more of an issue when the characters in a comic don't look individual or, or, me- <laughs> or memorable. Maybe because you struggle to Yeah, yeah I struggle so much. Them. Well, now we've got to the end of that. We've got to the bottom of that mystery. But main thing is, Scott Pilgrim takes off, looks awesome. We'll maybe we'll we'll speak on it once we've both had a chance to watch it once it's come out. Is it out yet? Uh, I think it comes out. I mean, it comes out this weekend. No, hey. from when we're recording, it comes out. It yeah. yeah when yeah, you're listening to this, it's already have just come out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. right in, tell us if, tell us if it's good or not. Yep, yep. And we'll we'll do a little bit of a yeah. It was fine. Well, yeah, yeah. It was cool. But yeah, Edgar Wright apparently great to work with. So that's the main takeaway. Um. One last bit. I didn't take as many notes for volume five, and I feel like that's because it, it continues a lot of the the themes and stuff from four. We've talked about both volumes in detail, I think. Yeah, I think a lot of my notes were more from four because maybe because I was more engrossed in five, but it felt like five was paying off a lot of the stuff that happened mm. in four, and while also continuing they the mystery. They definitely felt like a pair, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. And I was I was glad that you said the six was like twice the length. It's like thank God we've separated them. No, six is an unwieldy beast. Mm. It's a really heavy volume because obviously ramon is not about it for a lot of it five i think is the least has the least in the film because in the film they literally turned those the twin x's into a music fight a music battle yeah, which was really fucking cool great but you can see why they were like we have to condense this entire volume into one yeah, fight yeah, yeah, and yeah. none of the backstory from five and and yeah and and <sighs> except for ramona disappearing yeah mm. and I, I can't i kind of feel like the film i i'm because i read the books before i watched the film yeah right um and i only watched it because edgar wright directed it and it was like oh edgar wright made a film out of this comic book i like i'll give that a watch and i watched it and remember feeling that they had taken one and strapped the ending onto it and that's kind mm. of like they'd taken the first volume and a half roughly first two i'd go so far as to say two because they have a lot of the and three because they have a lot of they have a lot more stuff with the demon rise of demon head band and yeah. the and the vegan next boyfriend yeah so they have a lot more of that stuff but then i when reading volume three they had the whole thing in the supermarket and i was yeah. like i don't know any of this stuff so <laughs> but i feel like five is the least in the film 
um i did really appreciate the running joke where scott was constantly fighting robots in the background and like yeah. you point out it's like scott's in a fight they're like oh scott can handle it yeah but literally there's like other more important character dialogue going on between characters and him's just in the background like wrestling with a robot and this has been going on for seven months for these characters there's been seven months where scott just keeps having random fights at social events mm. And so they and it's kind of believable they'd be like, Ugh, yeah, Scott's fine. He'll deal with it. See, it kind of feels like the film, the seven X is kind of happening over what feels like more like a week or so. Yeah. That fe- I can't imagine. Like if you were imagine you're in this business of fighting seven evil X's. <laughs> if it happened over seven months, I feel like that time would be so stressful. Yeah. Like of beyond all the finding a job and all that. Like, yeah, maybe maybe we're selling shots Scott. Whoa, ooh, words, language. I'm we're, struggling. We're shorting Scott. <laughs> like he's a stock. Yes, big <laughs> <Like> short. <laughs> I watched the big short recently. It's amazing, isn't it? Oh, it's so good. The way that they get cameos in to mm. describe the heavy financial stuff. And the first time they do it, it's Margot Robbie in the bath. And you're yeah. like, that's just so funny and so clever. Yeah, the big short's really fucking excellent. Christian Bale, amazing. Um, Steve Carell, like best performance, I think. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. I mean, people talk about Steve Carell in The Office, but fuck was he good in this. Yeah. Angry and bitter, but engrossed in that world. Oh, really fascinating. And Brad Pitt just kind of played himself. Like, yeah. Mm, he did what the role needed. Like, it wasn't too much. I thought he was really good in it. I thought Ryan Gosling was good in it. Oh, he's great in it. I'm pumped! Did you notice the trepidation there? Because I always get him mixed up with Ryan Reynolds. I mean, a lot of people do. They're, <laughs> they just they're look both, the fucking same. They're both Canadian Ryans. Are they Canadian? They're both Canadian, yeah. I should know this, shouldn't I? Eh, it's, it's, not that in, it's not that important information, is it? I know it because I just into that kind of stuff. So well, You like Deadpool a lot, don't you? Yeah, and Ryan Gosling's fun. You ever see the sketch with him and Will Ferrell? Knife guys. Yes, I have. So good. I've seen that, yeah. Mm. I know, the Big Short, man. Highly recommend it. Yeah. Highly recommend it. If they ever do a comic book adaptation of The Big Short, we'll we'll do that. I mean, we should just make that. <laughs> Without any permissions at all or anything. And then we can just pay somebody to draw Margot Robbie in a bar. He's <laughs> such a weird day for the artist. Unfortunately, it's probably not. I bet we could, <laughs> go, on, I bet we could go on Tumblr and find They probably already have done readily, it yeah. to request, yeah. yeah. absolutely. To request, just for their own fucking sick pleasure. Well, to someone else's, someone's commissioned them <laughs> for their sick pleasure. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's pretty much volumes four and five wrapped and covered, I would say. And we're pretty much within the time. I mean, we're about hour 20-ish, yeah, yeah. so... Do we do we wrap or do we do we do anything else? Well, there's something I've wanted to mention. There's there's something that has happened recently that just feels objectively important, Ryan. I mean, of all the things in the world, the fact that I know what you're going to talk about kind of under under whatever the term is. I know what you're going to say, but go on. It is a big thing in the world of people who are into this thing. Yeah, the Beatles yeah. released a new single. They were very keen to get it out before the end of the year. Yeah. And have you they, used, they used Ouija boards for the other two, didn't have they? Have you listened to it yet? I've not. No, I still haven't right. got around to I'm it. I'm going to get your live reaction. Okay. I feel like my live reaction is probably going to be something along the lines of like, that's a Beatles song. The listeners here, I've actually connected my phone to my, my, my sound system uh, because I need Ryan to just experience this with me. Big moves happening. Yeah, it was all right. It was good. It was really good. Do you good. not think it's like so beautiful? It was really good. It was what I imagine. If I had to imagine before, I like what would a a long 
forgotten resurfaced last Beatles song would sound like is what I kind of imagine would like it it fits what it would expected to be if that makes sense yeah so I think I think it's come up on the podcast before that I'm a rabid Beatles fan like I'm pretty sure I've gone over and pulled out a copy of Sgt. Pepper's for you while we've been mm. recording and stuff and I think the the core of the experience for me was that it's the last time I ever get to hear a Beatles song for the first time. Mm. And I didn't think I'd ever get that experience again in my life because I'm a fan and I've I've listened to the anthology and I've worked my way through their discography over the years. And so I, I'll, I'll, I, I put the song on and I stood in the middle of my living room so that I was right in front of my speakers mm. and just stood and absorbed it. And I listened to it twice through and had a little cry. And it was just such a special moment. And I think it was the same for a lot of people. Mm. I've listened to it a lot. <laughs> I was, gonna, to I was gonna say when you started playing i imagined your neighbors being like he's playing that fucking, fucking song, song again, again. Yeah, yeah yeah. and i've listened to it like once or twice a day since it came out and there's a couple of things i've noticed about it that just really charmed me mm. so beatles the beatles obviously always had high harmonies and it's because paul and george did a lot of the harmonies or john did a lot of the harmonies and they all had quite they all had voices in that upper register when they were younger mm. but of course um when they had the first stab at re-recording this back in the day, they didn't get very far with it because of the way that John's vocal was glued to a piano track. Right. They didn't get to the point where they were laying down harmonies and George wasn't very well at the time. Um, and so when they did the harmonies this time round, it was Old Man Paul and Ringo doing the harmonies. And so the, they, they have low harmonies instead of high harmonies in it. Mm. And so the harmonies are sitting underneath John's voice, not soaring above it. I don't know if you got that, if you clocked it. Uh, not with my amateur ear. But it's just so weird because it's so different for a Beatles song. Mm. Like to have low harmonies in a Beatles song is just really unusual. It's good that it would. it's expected that a Beatles song would have like new things you realize every listen and that kind of depth to the song. Yeah, and it's just, and like the lyrics... Um, I know they were about one thing because John sat and wrote them at a piano without any of the the other Beatles there and it was just after they broke up and stuff. Mm. But obviously with two of them being gone now and I think us having had 50 years to ruminate on the Beatles, those lyrics, um, now and then it was all because of you, just really speaks and I think it's just such a perfect, like it would be so sad if it was just a silly love song mm. to, to, to use a, to, to, use something that john said about paul that wasn't very nice in the 80s yeah um you know it's it's actually quite prophetic and quite profound and just really beautiful and so beautifully recorded i don't know it just really got Mm. to me ryan yeah yeah i could see why and again it's that very specific scenario of one last time when you thought it wasn't going to be possible like it's all encompassing that like things that the fan base thought they would never get again you know I can't imagine what that would be for me. Like, I've always been stuff that's just kind of happened as has happened. Like, yeah. I was a big Guns N' Roses fan when I was younger, and then they got back together, and I was, by the time they got back together, I was like, I'm actually kind of over it now. Well, like, Chinese democracy was hot garbage, and they've not recorded since they've all been back in a room, have they? So the thing about Chinese democracy is, it if it would come up for someone else, if it come up from a different band, right, and there wasn't all this anticipation, I think I would have listened to it and been like, this is good. Who Who is this by? It was a decade, decade and a half in the making, though, wasn't it? 14 years, yeah. And it was, and for that, build up no album could live up to that yeah it's impossible but that because an album isn't meant to be this quality is going to be really high because of the time it took an album is meant to be here's some art experience it yeah here's 10 songs we wrote this year exactly so that's and again if it'd come out just if there was no build up at all and it just come out would have been like these songs actually pretty good you would have still had people be like it's not as good as paradise city or welcome to you know and appetite for destruction but 
you know, at the time, I was like, yeah, it's fine. Their second album wasn't as good as their first, was it? <laughs> yeah, but their first album came out like at a time when oh, the genre was just starting. Wasn't appetite, it? like that. I was driving home from London visiting a friend the other day. Uh, that this was in the summer. It happened a while ago, and I'd been caught in traffic in London for two hours. And when I finally got on the open road, I stuck Appetite on mm. and just bombed it home with Appetite blaring out. And it was a great experience. It was so much fun. Yeah. Appetite's one of the few albums that the non-singles get loads of playtime on, like, rock stations. Oh, man, like, um... Mr. Brownstone. Mr. Brown... Night Train. Rocket I'm Queen. On the Night Train. Mm. I'm fucking great. Yeah, Rocket Queen's a fucking banger. You can tell we're old. <laughs> this, <laughs> this was decades before we were born. Uh, we've never really talked about music on the podcast, but I'm like a rabid consumer of music, aren't I? Yeah, I think I, I used to be into music when I was younger, and I, I genuinely transitioned to like podcasts. And yeah. when you listen to like hour plus long podcasts, you don't have as much time to just listen to music. So so I sit, I still sit and listen to whole albums and get up and flip the record halfway through kind of thing. Hmm. Like I'm still like an active consumer of music. And I love that. I, lo- I, I, I don't know how people who don't listen to a lot of music survive. It's different things, isn't it? Different tastes. Like, yeah, no, absolutely. A lot of people aren't into comic books at all. And yeah. I'm like, that's a big part of my life. So I don't know what you're doing. But yeah, no, I get it. And, 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 and I could talk for hours about how special and unique music is to humanity. And, but this isn't the space for that. This is just, I well, really wanted to talk about the new Beatles song on the podcast. Yeah. And you could probably stretch that out to art as a whole, which comic books falls under. So, but the interesting thing is that this song came out universally adored. Everyone loves it. They gave Peter Jackson a million pounds to direct the music video. Right. Not very good. (laughs) (laughs) Classic. So they've... They should have known from The Hobbit, like he's fallen off a cliff. But but Get Back was very good. Mm. Have you watched Get Back? I watched a bit of it. And I was like... Really good, man. I can see why Beatles fan would love this so much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is it. Like, I I had the same feeling watching Get Back that I had watched listening to this song, Mm. which was just this outpouring of emotion. Like, oh my God, I'm really getting to see something here that... You know, like a lot, I mean, a lot of people who were like really big Beatles fans when the Beatles were a thing, mm. never got to experience any of this because they're not here anymore. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I just kind of happened to be a huge Beatles fan 50 years on. And so I get all this extra kit, you know? I mean, in our lifetimes, the Beatles music will be 100 years old. Hopefully, yeah. I mean, yeah. Hopefully. Providing, <laughs> yeah. providing I don't <laughs> befall some terrible accident. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But you, yeah, you could say that about anything. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a. Uh, good place to end it on we i will put in time codes for people yeah. who just want to hear the beatles stuff yeah <laughs> which would be weird but <laughs> if that's yeah. if you're coming here for your red hot beatles news <laughs> there are other places you could get that um so thank you so much for listening if you want to send us an email comic at gmail.com uh leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts we do shorts on youtube and what kind of reviews do we want five star reviews baby exactly and i've started i've taken over the mantle I'm helming our TikTok profile. And so there is more TikToky content happening there now. And I would highly recommend you just pop over to the TikTok if you want more Jamie. <laughs> that is if literally... You, if you want more Jamie, if you want to see me in a more raw, unfiltered form, then come over to the TikTok. The shorts will still be uploaded to TikTok, but you're also going to get a direct injection of Jamie straight into your veins as well. Jesus Christ, that is not the way... Right, that, we're ending there. <laughs> You're going to cook some anymore. Jamie into a spoon. Oh, don't, no, no, that's gross. That's disgusting. Oh, no. Bye. Best, Bye. best ending of an episode Thank ever. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>